Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. In a changing reading landscape that now includes ebooks consumed on your device, what's the role of the public library and how is that role changing? Today we're going to be talking with Sam Passy, director of the Uanda County Library in Vernal, and uh, we'll ask him about current challenges and opportunities and the future of the library. And we'd love to hear from you. Has your experience with the library changed? And what do you think the future of the library will and should look like? You can email us to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Uh, Sam Passy, welcome to the program. Thanks. It's good to be here. Uh, it's uh, great to talk to you. And I should mention, UNA County Library was my library growing up, so the, the, the old version of the library. Uh, plus, we probably still have a card for you somewhere uh, on file. Probably do have a card for me. <laughs> I'll come in and use it someday. Um, do you guys still have Bookmobile? Is that still a thing? You know, we don't have a Bookmobile in the Uinta County, but uh, other areas of the state do have Bookmobiles. And they're still a vital source for a lot of the smaller communities that are isolated and spread out in the state. Yeah, I remember the Bookmobile very fondly. In fact, I, I don't know. Uh, I can't ask my dad now. He's passed. But uh, even though we lived uh, just a few blocks from the library, we would uh, we'd get in the you know the station wagon, go out to some remote area, and and use the Bookmobile. Anyway, um, so I, I'd love to know first of all a little bit of your background, and uh, and then from that, how did you get into library work? Sure. Um, well, I, I've been here for 15 years. In fact, next next week is my 15th anniversary as uh, director of Uinta County Library. I, I came to Vernal. Uh, I grew up in Sandy, Salt Lake area, went off to college, and then uh, uh, came back to Vernal to run the Regional History Center. I was actually trained as an archivist. My, my master's degree is in library science, and I remember my advisor at University of North Texas would not sign off on my graduation plan unless I would consent to taking at least one public library management class. And I thought, I'm never going to manage a public library. Um, but I took the class, and wouldn't you know, that's been the most relevant class I took in grad school. <laughs> that's helped me out the most. Um, but I, I came out to be an archivist uh, at Uinta County Library, and a couple weeks under the job, my boss announced that he was taking the library director that he was taking a job in Saudi Arabia, hmm. and the library board and county commission asked me to fill in, and eventually asked me to apply for the job, and that was 15 years ago, and um, it's been a been an exciting time, a wonderful place to be, and filled with things that I couldn't even imagine that we'd be doing and thinking about and planning. So as you think about the public library when you were, you know, growing up uh, versus now, what are what are some of the biggest changes? When I was growing up, the library was very, very much physical materials, books. You go into the place, you check out books, you might go to a story hour, um, but it, computers were just starting to be introduced as far as looking things up. And in Sandy, Salt Lake County's always done a fantastic job with its libraries and the Sandy Library was was no is no exception and and that's really where my interest in libraries was was uh, grown and I, I remember at one point in time they had this cool catalog with a, a screen that had 
push buttons on the screen or on the side of the screen. So you'd type the stuff in like green, green uh, font on a black screen, and and I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. And you know, and then coming coming into the profession as technology, the technology age really took off. Has just been filled with opportunities and challenges. And now we're the, the biggest difference now is. We've got a foot in the the traditional printed materials world, and we're trying to navigate ebooks, downloadables, the audible type stuff, and and figuring out where we fit and how we how we proceed in this world to serve our communities best. I want to loop back to you know challenges, opportunities, look ahead to the future. I want to uh, treat this. This is. Um, this is a big topic, uh, ebooks, and um, kind of some conflicting uh, interests between uh, you know the the library patrons and and publishers. Some good points on on both sides. Um, uh, before we get into this, uh, how many people are reading ebooks from the library? Do you think because it is still a minority of people? So I, I just looked this up, and our breakdown here, we did about, uh, granted we're a rural library, we serve a population of, in the county, roughly 30,000 people. Uh, about one-third of the residents are active library card users, active as in they're visiting about once a month. So we have about 10,000 people come through once a month. Um, and our total, our total checkouts for last year Granted, we're recovering from COVID just like everyone else, but we had about about a quarter million checkouts, and roughly 15% of those were for um, something other than physical. So they were they were downloadable, they were e-books, they were e-audio books. Um, the e-audio books, the e-books are mostly the e-audio books are extremely popular in our community. Whatever funds we put into those, they're we just can't keep up with the demand. And I, I think one of the things that people think about, new, new people think about, they think, well, shoot, it's, it's a downloadable audiobook. Um, you know, can't everyone access it? Can't you just buy that? And, and we really can't. We have to license all of our, our downloadable ebooks and e audiobooks, and the terms are typically traditional to a physical uh, checkout, meaning that. If someone has your copy checked out, then they've got to wait until that's, that due date happens. Now, with an ebook, there's nothing to go back and return. It automatically does that when your time is up. Um, but conceptually, explaining to people that, yes, we live in this glorious digital age, and yet um, we, we have this more traditional library model that, that – we have to use so that these publishers and authors can can make a living, and, and we totally respect that and get that. So we'll we'll um, say a Harry Potter audiobook. We we buy that, we license that for maybe two years or twenty six checkouts or whatever comes comes first, and, and that might cost us eighty or a hundred bucks. And then at the end of that time, we evaluate and see, well, you know, has this thing been going out? Do we want to? Do we want to license this again? And, and that's a bit of a – it can be a hard pill for libraries to swallow when we're used to buying a physical item and checking it out for maybe 100 times before it gets worn out or lost or stolen, and, and then we have to replace it. 
those those are some of the challenges that we're facing there. Yeah, this resonates with me. This is the only way, really, that I interact with the library myself is I discover the ebook section. I haven't set foot in my library for a while, but I certainly am an active participant uh, reading, you know, checking out, reading ebooks. It's been it's been great. Um, so there's uh, maybe to illustrate some of the tensions here and some of the the, the potential conflicts and that are that are trying to be resolved. There's a recent uh, case in Maryland, right? Uh, so tell us about what uh, the Maryland legislature uh, did, what what the law was, and then uh, it was recently struck down. But tell us about this law. Sure. In in 2021, the Maryland state legislature passed a law that required any publisher providing a, an electronic publication, literary product, you know, there's some legalese in there, um, if they're selling an e-book, an audio book in the state that they needed to also, under equitable terms, um, sell that to public libraries, which sounds on the surface like a, a good and noble idea, and, and in many ways it is. Um, the uh, American Publishers Association, I'm probably getting their, their name wrong, but they, they filed suit and uh, said that, hey, wait, this is a violation of our rights. Um, you know, as producers of content, we have the right to sell it when and where we want. And um, a, a judge had agreed with them, and the state said, oh, yeah, we didn't think about that. You're right. And so the state at this point is not appealing or contesting this judgment, and it's kind of back to the drawing board. Um, but the, the court in that case, the judge said more or less that, um, it's not the purview of a state legislature or or even the court to, um, you know, grant libraries these these rights, and that this is probably something that Congress needs to take up with the copyright law after some negotiation with various stakeholders. Um, but th- this can be a challenge for us, um, especially with uh, maybe a regional niche publishers or. Uh, as an example, earlier this week, we had a, a lady, she's, she's come in for years. We see her twice a week, and she wanted, um, it, it was a local um, Utah-based publishing house that had a, did a series. She, she always checks out the next one, and she's a consistent reader. And, and she said, hey, I, I checked the shelves, and you don't have, I, I think it was like one and a half and two and a half were the volume numbers. And I thought, well, that's interesting. It's Why is it one and a half and two and a half? And it turns out that this publisher decided to do some e-book um, components of the series that were in between the, the ones that they, they printed. And so I thought, well, great, let's, um, let's see if we can just buy these e-books and keep our, our patrons happy. And then I found out that um, this particular publisher doesn't offer many, much of their content to public libraries under under any terms. And so that's something that I, I hope that, um, that as my colleagues and I reach out to this, this particular publisher, I, I don't want to name names here because there's, you know, there, there's potential some negotiations happening and we hope this all changes, but, um, but we want to make sure that there's a way that Publishers and authors can can stay in business. I mean, it, it's it's critical that this pipeline continues for for many reasons, 
and also allow for some way, some mechanism for us as public libraries to to purchase and or lease and make this content available to our, our patrons and our communities. I want to read here this reading from Publishers Weekly, this story. Um, so this is the spokesperson for the American Association of Publishers talking about the, this Maryland case. Uh, we thank the judge for delivering a clear decision that, uh, again, striking down this Maryland law, that protects the exclusive rights that are the basis of the United States Copyright Act and the means by which authors and publishers make so many intellectual and economic contributions to society and long-term public interest. Now, that's stating very clearly the interest of the publishers, the authors, they need to make money, right? And I guess publishers are, are worried uh, maybe they're going to lose money if they if, if they don't uh, establish their rights here with regard to to the public libraries. Sure, sure. And, and I think in the world of, of print, if you're, let's say you are this, uh, you're, you're a publisher and you can count on traditionally maybe 15% of your, your print run for a major work being purchased by libraries across the country or around the world. Um, you've made your money at that point, you're good, and then the, the copyright law has, has uh, what we call the first sale doctrine, basically meaning if I bought this, this thing, I can do what I want with it as long as I'm not altering it or, um, you know, making a digital copy when it's a printed book. And um, there's there's some, you know, carve-outs for specific things in the copyright law, but that's another another program probably. Um, at any rate, it's... Um, it's a, it's one of the many one of the many challenges that uh, that we're having to negotiate here, right? Again, quoting from this uh, Publishers Weekly article, libraries long have complained of unsustainable, non-negotiated high prices and restrictions. I guess that's on the you know, that's on the library side, including if a publisher doesn't make you know the one and a half, two and a half ava- even available. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then what? What do we do? And and the the trend that I'm seeing is we're seeing more like Amazon and Audible exclusives. I guess this is an exception. We're all name names. Um, you know, they're they're a big worldwide publisher uh, of content. Many more authors are going directly to to Amazon, which I think some of these other publishing houses would call out as a, pro- a problem too. Um, so, so the publishers are getting hit by that. The libraries are getting hit by that because once it's an Audible exclusive, it effectively takes that off of the library market as well. I, I can no longer license that content. Um, so, so what do we do? What do we tell our our patrons? And I, I tried to explain to this this woman that was here and wanted one and a half and two and a half. That look, this just isn't available to us. Period. There's no fee. And she said, well. Well, what do I do? How do I how do I get this? I said, well, they want you to 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 buy their app and to pay for their monthly monthly fee. And well, what what if I don't? I'm on a limited income. You know, we're on Social Security. We're retired. We're trying to control our costs. We pay our taxes to the library, and and this is what we're we're after. And and so that's that's an area. Some of the things that um, that. As library directors, we've discussed proposing to some of these niche publishers is um, if the alternative is you're not going to make things available to libraries under any terms, is there a way that after you've 
you've recouped some of your initial costs. Maybe there's a, um, I'm forgetting the term, but maybe a, a waiting period, um, you know, a few months, six months, and then it becomes available if the library might be a secondary market, um, maybe akin to something going from a, a hardback release to a paperback release. You know, when it's paperback, the price is less. It's sometimes in more places. Um, is there some kind of window of time where it's, you know, exclusive and not on the library market and then it is? I, I think while that would be annoying to some patrons to have to wait a little bit longer, if that's the only way we can get this stuff for them, I think they'd be happy with it. Yeah, you talked about the, this lady uh, fixed income. So that's one, you know, one demographic, one example. I'd put myself forward as an example. I I purchase plenty of books, ebooks, um, but I I I just don't have the budget to purchase everything that I'd like to read. So that's where I turn to the library. I don't know that you probably have folks all over the the spectrum, folks like that, lady folks like me. Um, so that gets me to what what's what's the role of the public library specifically with with we'll get into these other roles of the library, but specifically with books. Um, I guess to make books more widely available, um, uh, you know, everybody can't buy all the books, right, and put them in the library. That's right. Libraries have been a great way for people to discover new things and go on an adventure. Think, think of your, your, think of the kids out there. And I remember I was 14 years old. I was a pretty much a reluctant reader. I, I did not read a ton. And when I was 14 years old, I had a knee surgery. And I was just bored. I can be out playing basketball in the summer. And, uh, so my mom drove me to the library, and I discovered, um, in my case, it was Timothy Zahn's Heir to the Empire Star Wars series, which was totally the, the gateway book series for me. And, and pretty soon I needed to read every, uh, every Star Wars book out there, every Star Trek book out there. And, and my mom would... Um, she would drive to Borders. She would drive to Barnes & Noble. wasn't really around but at that point. Um, the different bookstores, and she'd try and find these things. We would borrow them from the library when we could. Um, and, and I have this, this amazing mother that bent over backwards to keep track of what I'd read, what I hadn't read, try and find it for me to keep me reading. And, and you know, as a growing teen, it, it really changed developing this love of reading and then having ready access of a stock of books at that moment, at that time, when I was primed to become a reader was was critical. And I don't know how many thousands of dollars worth of books my mom would have had to try and buy. I mean, she wouldn't have been able to. She's a school teacher, you know, set income there. And I had a bunch of other siblings. And thank goodness that the Salt Lake County Library Whoever is buying books for them like to buy Star Trek and Star Wars books and keep their patrons happy and deal with this kid hobbling in there on crutches mm. and asking for all this weird stuff and yeah we can get that for you. Mm. Well, let's take a let's take a break. Um, we'll come back much more to talk about. Um, and by the way, uh, to our listeners, I'd love to get your favorite library memory. We just heard a great one from Sam Passy. This kid hobbling on crutches into discovering, you know, uh, Star Wars uh, type stuff. Uh, what's your favorite uh, library memory? I think one of my favorites is just Discovery. 
And I wonder, Sam Pasty, before we go to break, if we're losing that with, you know, with the algorithms, um, that they can be useful. You know, you like this book, so here's uh, 10 other books just like it. But I wonder if we if we lose that sense of discovery that I that I had as a kid, just going and browsing. You know, I'm I'm an advocate of buying physical copies for as long as we can, and having good, talented librarians and volunteers who can help guide people to the things that might not show up on algorithm, and then really share that love of reading, that love of discovery. I think that's absolutely critical. And there's a lot of smart people out there that will invent some some really neat tools and already are. Um, and I don't know if it's a generational thing, but, but for me, that sense of wandering through the stacks and, and, and discovering is just a critical portion of the library experience. So get us your favorite public library memory at upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Also get to, love to get your thoughts on what the future of uh, library is going to look like, what it, what it should look like, upraxcess at gmail.com. Excuse me. Sam Passy is with us. He is director of the Uinta County uh, Library in Vernal. We'll have more following this break. Support for How Do You Think of That with Temple Grandin on UPR is made possible in part by our members and the USU Institute for Disability Research, Policy, and Practice, Utah's University Center for Excellence in Developmental Disabilities. More information at idrpp.usu.edu. Support also comes from the USU Lyric Repertory Company, presenting A Fox on the Fairway, Disney's Freaky Friday, Fences, Into the Breaches, and Interact, along with the fourth annual Vosco Call Spotlight Concert. Performances through July 30th. Details at lyricrep.org. How did you think of that with Temple Grandin? On Utah Public Radio, on our Series 1 final episode, Temple Grandin talks with Nalini Netkarni, a professor at the University of Utah, where her research focuses on the ecology of forest canopies. On the second half, chemist Jared Ashcroft talks to Temple about how to support the growing technology industry with novel programs and ideas at colleges and universities. That's Friday at 10 a.m. and Saturday afternoon at 3 here on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking with Sam Passy, who's director of the Uinta County uh, Library in Vernal. And uh, we're talking about current challenges and opportunities, future of the library. We talked a bit about e-books and uh, some controversies there, and uh, hopefully negotiations will resolve some of those uh, problems as we go forward. Love to know uh, your favorite memory of your public library. Uh, upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. What's your sense, Sam Passy? Uh, I know for many families, the public library has been a very important institution. Is, is that still the case, do you think? Oh, most definitely. Um, in 2012, Uinta County Library is fortunate enough to be able to build a new library and community resource center um, that we really built with the idea of looking at all the needs of families today, the things people are facing, and that we wanted spaces for, for books and shelving and things like that, certainly in the library, but we, 
we really looked at the, the needs that people have to gather, to think, to share, to discover, and, and what, those, what those spaces need, how we could support people um, in, in our community. Community history and storytelling is, is super important. Um, so a few years ago, we, we worked with Utah Public Radio. We're happy to host, host you in StoryCorps here That's in the right. world to help some of those stories and and really build that what that to me what that's all about in addition to the stories and the history you collect but is about capturing and building and providing opportunities for for connection because that's that's so important for people to to have safe places that they can connect that they can gather that they can think and share and build relationships um I want to ask you about the pandemic was was there uh, how would how did the Unit County uh, Library um, experience the pandemic? Were there changes in how people uh, used the library? You know, uh, definitely it was um, a coworker of mine, Stacia, deserves a, a, a medal. Um, she was the person in charge of our event calendar and kept tabs with the local health department and the health guidelines and. Um, Day to day, almost it seemed like we would get new guidelines about what was what we could do and what we couldn't do, and she communicated that to to groups uh, that had wanted to use the library. Um, but but apart from that, we had a period of time. I, I remember um, it was Friday the 13th in, in March of 2020 that uh, my boss on the county commission came by my office, which was a rare event in and of itself. Usually, you know, it works the other way around busy guy. Uh, but he came down and he said, hey, i got to give you a heads up um, that the governor's about to declare this state of emergency and they're going to be canceling school at least for a few weeks, which, you know, ended up being the rest of the year. And, and then uh, he said, you need to come up with some kind of plan for how the library is going to operate um, and and he had a, enough uh, clear sightedness to to say you know at when we get to some kind of point where the health department says you guys can open you've got to figure out how you're going to do this and, and what this looks like and so we were closed to the public for probably five weeks um, a lot of painting happened some volunteers put up a new mural. Um, we immediately started offering a curbside pickup service. And well, what what can we do? We can do curbside pickup st- service. Our staff members, our librarian, our children's librarian said, "Hey, um, there's got to be a lot of scared little children out there. Um, Any way we can do a live stream story time?" I said, "Yeah, sure, great. Go ahead. Try and find." local authors so we don't get sued. And then some of the publishers came to bat for us and and realized um, that this was a need, and they actually granted a couple publishing houses, granted for a period of time, blanket license for us to read and basically perform their books through uh, live streaming story times. And the first first one they did was about feeling scared and afraid and... um, by the end of the day, it had had over a thousand views, which was just huge for for us and Vernal to have any social media content have that kind of viewership. and And they maintained that service um, throughout the first basically year of the pandemic. 
Um, we still have drive-up pickup service as an option. I think we'll keep that forever, basically. Um, it gets well used by young parents that frequently pull up with a sleeping infant and a car carrier in the back, and we hand them their bag that they've gone online and ordered whatever it is they want to check out from the library. We pull that, put it in the bag. Uh, works a lot like a grocery pickup would work. And, and it's also very popular with seniors and, and disabled community people with disabilities. So that's that's been a unexpected silver lining because I don't think we would have tried that or thought about that. Um, and then our, our events and, and things are now just rebounding. This is our, our um, this is the first summer reading program where it feels kind of like we're back to normal, where we're seeing five, 600 kids a week come through our, our, our weekly activities. We do eight weeks of uh, summer reading activities in the summer. Um, yeah, so it feels like we're getting back to normal, but it's definitely had a, a change. It was an opportunity to reset and try some new things in our in our facility and make sure that our policies and our programs reflected what the the needs are now here 10 years into this new building. Hmm. I put out the call for favorite memories. I want to share a couple of mine. Uh, the, the, this one, the first one has to do with my school library, elementary school library, but I I well remember the first book I checked out from that library. It's, it had, I can't remember the title, it had balloons on the front, and uh, they put it carefully in some plastic, I guess, in case it rained. Boy, I was so proud when I took that home. That was just that was just wonderful. And I well remember the first uh, first card I got, library card. That was UNA County Library. I was so proud that I had a card. <laughs> uh, just just some great memories. Love to have you share your mem- library memories at upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. Um, so the summer reading program, that's a favorite memory of mine as well. Uh, this is uh, can give kids a sense of accomplishment, I guess, increased literacy as well. Yeah, what we're really trying to do is prevent what educators call the summer slump. Um, if, if kids are not reading, if they're not somehow academically engaged, they're going to lose these reading skills, just like you lose any skills that you're not actively working on developing. And, and so we incentivize kids here, all the kids that sign up get a, a, free, a free book upon sign-up. There's some other prizes that they can win, and then um, the kids that have signed up have the option to attend weekly, weekly programs, parties. Um, sometimes we rent out the movie theater, the local pool, or splash park. Um, sometimes we set up carnival games here at the library, and we're fortunate enough to uh, have a library that's across the street from a, a heritage museum that's part of the same department and, and then a park right in front of it. So it's an ideal situation. We work with our partners at the museum to really engage children and families with learning. Um, this year, um, kind of adjacent to the summer reading program, we're super happy to host for the next three months an exoplanets exhibit from the Space Science Institute and um, engage people of all ages with learning and thinking about, well, shoot, is there, you know, what's an exoplanet, um, you know, which my understanding is basically a planet that's not part of all our solar system. I, I'm looking forward to learning what an exoplanet is and what the potential there is and how NASA's looking for them. And um, 
as, as we incorporate that curriculum into our summer reading program this year and get kids engaged and who knows we might have the future uh you know nasa engineers and astronomers and thinkers and writers and dreamers that might make contact someday with with uh people from other parts of the universe how cool would that be yeah definitely do uh, looking to the future do you think kids will still be checking out physical books or will it be ebooks you know, I, uh, my experience here is that the kids seem to take the content in whatever form they can get it in. Um, my own children, and I have seven of them, tend to prefer a physical, physical book, and they'll use uh, an e-book with no complaint if they can't first find that physical book. And I didn't think that in the year 2020 we'd be having this conversation. If you would have asked me 10 years ago, I said, oh, gosh, you know, we might have a few kids' books, but by 2020, we're just going to be downloadable stuff. And and that's not been the case. There's the, the readers, those who like to read with their eyes as opposed to their ears with an audiobook, really tend in our community to prefer the, the print the print stuff, um, which has been kind of surprising to, to me. Um, and, and then the audiobooks, you know, we have, gosh, eight, 9,000 audiobooks on CD that just sit there. And every year we say, well, shoot, is this the year that we say goodbye to the CD audiobook collection and put in a, a maker lab or a learning lab or a recording studio or uh, whatever comes next? Um, you can hardly find a CD player these days. So we're, we're always dealing with formats, and, and the reason we keep them is because still there's a few publishers that just won't sell us their stuff in some downloadable format again. Um, I know, uh, I don't know what a trend this is, and it's probably bigger cities, but I do know that some libraries employ social workers, and that gets into, uh, you know, the one role of the library, at least some uh, libraries. It's a public institution. And uh, all sorts of people are going to come in, and uh, so I, I'm guessing Unit County Library doesn't have a social worker there, but uh, maybe talk a little bit to that kind of a role for a library. Yeah, we're we're super lucky in that our children's librarian, by degree and training and background, happens to be a social worker that we've converted into a children's librarian, um, and so we're we're not. Per our mission and policies, our library isn't directly practicing any kind of social work. Um, but, but in our case, uh, and, and I'll give her a, a shout-out, uh, Miss Christina Higgins is, is an amazing children's librarian, and she is very apt as she is engaging with families that if she becomes aware of a need, if someone expresses something, a lot of times people come to the library don't know where to turn or don't know where to go next. And in the library's role as information provider, she'll say, hey, you know, we've kind of cataloged some of these community resources that are out there that have terrible, or not terrible, but have very difficult to find uh, websites and web presences, and the stuff isn't always in the phone book, and if it is, you don't know who to call, but let me help you navigate and negotiate the bureaucracy a little bit to make sure you're talking to the right person who can then help you ha get some support that you 
or your loved ones may need. And, and so having someone with a social work background, even if they're not employed as a social worker, has been crucially important to us this last couple of years, especially with all the extra pandemic stress. It is tough enough to live in this world as is, and then you add any other life stressors, and there have been so many lately, and, you know, I'd add $5.20 a gallon gas to that list right now. Um, but, yeah, uh, every community needs to needs to take a good hard look at what its needs are and the library boards and library staff in those communities. And, and libraries, public libraries aren't one size fits all anymore. I don't know if they ever have been, and what success is. It's kind of become cliche to say that you've got to define success locally, but there's there's truth in that. And what Uinta County, what Vernal needs, might be very different than what some other community needs. You know, we have some great things going for us um, with the fact that because we are small enough and because there are only um, – the same 10 people that tend to be on all these different community councils and uh, friends of the fill-in-the-blank groups, um, that it's it's easier for us to know who to talk to to catalog the community again um, and share those resources. Where other other communities, maybe the library's role needs to be to help figure out where all that stuff is, or, or maybe they've got that down and they don't need to do that. And anyway, rambling Sam here. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's good. Um, uh, another, I don't know, you know, some libraries, uh, that's a place where the homeless go. I, I don't yeah. know, you know, uh, so it, it's, it's public, it's open, it's a place where folks uh, can go. So I guess a, a need in those communities for social workers, for example, um, but, but just an example of another role of a public library that, uh, you know, that goes beyond books. Yes, yeah, certainly. Certainly. Um, right, right now, um, in our, our community or at our library, if someone, uh, you know, has a need for some grooming assistance, you know, they, maybe they've been going through rough times and they got a job interview, they have a job interview and they need a haircut, through a partnership with the local beauty salon, um, hair college, you can come to the library and you can get a voucher for a, a free haircut. You know, we don't income qualify anyone or ask any of those kinds of questions. That's that's been one of the very nice things about helping community members through the through the library. There's not really any form to fill out to access services or to ask questions. Um, we're, we're here for for anyone that walks in through the doors or hits our website. Um, another factor I know, and I have friends who d- definitely take care uh, advantage of this. It's kind of a democratizing um, service. Those who don't have computer access, you really have to in these days. Uh, the library has computers. Yeah, yeah. Um, we have forty public computers. They had eleven thousand six hundred and thirty-eight. I have the report in front of me today. By coincidence, um, sessions that people used. 
the public computers at the library over 11,000 times. Um, and, and again, Utah is, is a very well-managed state when it comes to public computing and networks, and we're fortunate to be part of the Utah Education and uh, Telehealth Network there, along with the schools and, and I believe some of the universities. And, and a shout-out to them and their staff. They do an amazing job to keep us keep us up and going. Um, public Wi-Fi um, in our community through the um, through a portion of the uh, ARPA, the, the recovery pandemic recovery funding. Uh, UEN did a program to put wireless internet hotspots and public computers and libraries. And so here, starting basically next week, we have 20 some odd wireless hotspots that are paired with a laptop that people can check out if they don't have internet at home. Let's say they relied on the schools for that kind of thing during the summer or they would have to uh, walk into the library or make that trip in. Um, they can check these out for a week at a time and um, use the internet, use the computers loaded with you know common business software um, wherever they need to and, and and uh, some of the people who who we've seen come early in the morning before they work, and they'll be sitting on our our, our porch basically to, to use the the Wi-Fi because they they go to work. Um, a colleague from Moab told a story of a, a a guy working at a restaurant who would come in um, early in the morning and late at night, use the Wi-Fi, and he was working on his schooling, and he couldn't afford it at home, and um, they did the pilot project for this hotspot lending here a year ago, and and this gentleman checked out one of the hotspots, and um, he said, this is amazing because now I can take this thing to work, and when I'm on break or I can hang out between shifts and I can sit down, I can do my schoolwork, I, I'm finishing my degree. And, you know, none of these, I, I don't think if you'd asked a generation ago if, if hey, man, can I check the, can I check out the internet from the library? That you know, do what now? You know, and, and so it offers some amazing opportunities for people that maybe couldn't make it into the library or have a and, and can't afford this at home or, or don't have access. Uh, so we're really excited to, to offer that uh, device lending program to start that up, and many other libraries across the state are are have or are starting such a a program, and I'm sure we'll learn all kinds of things from it, too, and hopefully next year we can have a conversation and tell you how amazing it's been. Yeah, that is, uh, that is fascinating. You can check out the Internet, and what a great service. Um, let's take another break. We'll come back and have a brief uh, final segment with Sam Passy. He is a director of the Uinta County Library in Vernal, talking about uh, the role of libraries, how that's changing, and we'll look a bit to the future following this break. Support for How Do You Think of That with Temple Grandin on UPR is made possible in part by our members and the USU Institute for Disability Research, Policy, and Practice, Utah's University Center for Excellence in Developmental Disabilities. More information at idrpp.usu.edu. Support also comes from Les Olson Company, partnering with businesses by outsourcing technical support and managed IT services. Information at lesolsoncompany.com. Hello, listeners. I'm Shireen Gorbani, Salt Lake County Councilwoman. Join us for both sides of the aisle. This is a weekly debate over politics, policy, and big issues facing the state of Utah, featuring voices on the right, in the center, and on the left. That's me. 
Both Sides of the Aisle attempts to help you understand the important questions facing the residents of this state. We prove that you can still put Republicans and Democrats in a small room and have meaningful dialogue. Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. on Utah Public Radio. You're listening to Access Utah. We're talking about the library, your public library, how the the role of the library is changing. We're uh, looking to the future as well. And we're talking with a librarian, uh, the director of the Yona County Library, uh, Sam Passy. Sam Passy, we just have about five minutes left in this final segment. Um, wanted to have you maybe looking to the future. First of all, what worries you the most? Do you think? Then I'll ask you what uh, maybe the, what excites you. So, what, what's what's your biggest worry? Do you think if, as we look to the the future? You know, my biggest concern right now is um, promoting critical thinking online and, and media literacy in general. This is something that for generations, librarians and your English teacher have, have taught you. You know, consider the source, triple check that source, identify the author. Um, we're trying to develop collections um, that, that are well-rounded, that have balanced thoughts and perspectives uh, from a, a variety of viewpoints on all sorts of, of issues. Um, I'm, I'm concerned about the the attack on uh, institutions and on thinking and um, how we how we continue to position the public library in that middle ground of this is a place where people of all different backgrounds and perspectives can interact, can discuss, can think, can join a book club, can access tools. You, you might be sitting next to someone who's a millionaire. You might be sitting next to someone who's uh, living in a van by the river. Um, and that's okay. And we're one of the few places where, where certain segments might meet someone and encounter someone um, that has a different background than them. And I think that's a wonderful thing. And I hope that we can maintain that. And I hope that we can encourage critical thinking and respectful communication. And um, right now, I think one of the greatest challenges and opportunities is helping families and parents to understand how to use and access information in a purposeful and safe manner and identify where um, something might be a scam. How do, how do I know? How do I, how do I learn this language uh, that is the Internet, that is um, online? And, and how, do we, how do we maintain space? How do we promote civility? Um, and I, I think there's enormous opportunities there for the libraries to be one of these public institutions that can bring people together uh, for for discussions I, and for helping one another and and be that place one of those places that when when we have programs and functions we can lead with the question of will you help me understand you know and then fill in the blank help me understand your perspective help me understand your challenges your troubles. And I think that as we ask that question, um, we can, even if we disagree 
uh, with with someone's rationale and thinking. But as we we allow that space, we can really build build some community, build some common interests, and um, help ensure that libraries are continued. Public libraries continue to be part of the the fabric of communities that is a place where it's safe for everyone, where people can come and, and uh, be inspired, where, where you can pull yourself up by the bootstraps uh, and, and learn and grow and discover. And we have all these these wonderful word, words etched on our building, uh, think, discover, learn, imagine, and, and many others, and encourage people visiting Vernal to see the dinosaurs, to spend a moment to come to the library to look around, look at those words, and, and they, they really embody the things that we hope that people uh, will, will do in the, the public library. And that I think there's an amazing opportunity to reach out and work with, with uh, many others, you know, with respect to, to publishing, with the publishers, with the educators, with the those working to help support people who need social services. Um, it, it really, really takes, takes a team effort. And I think in some communities, the library might be one of the only places where people from different perspectives feel, feel safe and included. And I, I hope we can continue to be that space and that we can expand the numbers of those those places both physically and mentally in people's lives. Well, good place to uh, end the conversation. We're out of time. Uh, Sam Passy, director of Uinta County Library in Vernal, has been our guest. We'd, our topic has been libraries. Um, and uh, Sam Passy, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, we're going to go out, as we do on uh, Wednesdays, with Beehive Archive. Thanks, everyone, for listening to Access Utah. It's the Beehive Archive on Utah Public Radio. I'm Megan Weiss. Floyd Dominey was more than a government bureaucrat. As commissioner for the Federal Bureau of Reclamation, Dominey was a lightning rod for the controversy over humanity's relationship to the natural environment. And he had an outsized impact on the American West. Learn more after this. I'm Jody Graham, Director of Utah Humanities. Beehive Archive is brought to you on Utah Public Radio by Utah Humanities with the generous support of the Lawrence T. and Janet T. D. Foundation. We are proud to partner with community organizations to tell Utah stories and hope you will tune in each week for the Beehive Archive. Welcome to the Beehive Archive, a two-minute look at some of the most pivotal and peculiar events in Utah's history. I've seen all the wild rivers I ever want to see. Floyd Dominey once said. As commissioner for the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation during the 1960s, Dominey's maximalist approach to dam building literally reshaped the American West. His view that rivers should be put to work faced direct opposition from a growing environmental movement, and that debate over harnessing rivers is still at the center of Western water politics. After World War II, the booming population in the arid West needed its rivers to work harder than ever. The Bureau of Reclamation began coordinating region-wide projects to store water and generate hydropower, building dams by the dozen. Dominey quickly rose through the ranks of the Bureau, bringing with him gambling and womanizing habits better suited to a Wild West saloon than a Washington, D.C. office. But Dominey proved himself a ruthless and efficient bureaucrat. Rather than let Congress set priorities for the Bureau, he turned the tables. 
Because he controlled Western dams, which meant water and jobs for their constituents, Dominey blessed his friends and withheld projects from those who dared question him. He reportedly said he liked people the way we like animals. We like them, but we eat them. The crown jewel of Dominey's plumbing empire was Glen Canyon Dam, which created Utah's Lake Powell. This reservoir stores water for seven states and generates electricity for customers as far away as Nebraska. Yet a burgeoning environmental movement challenged the Bureau's utilitarian view of natural resources and promoted Western rivers as sensitive and scenic ecosystems deserving protection. When Dominey won the day and Glen Canyon was flooded, he wrote a book to celebrate the reservoir, calling it the Jewel of the Colorado. A disgusted Sierra Club president, David Brower, instead dubbed it the world's biggest septic tank. Floyd Dominey racked up a considerable list of enemies, but he was powerful enough that his favorite bargaining chip was threatening to quit. By 1969, however, Dominey's reputation for personal excess caused President Nixon to pull the plug on his appointment. In his decade as commissioner, Dominey remade the American West by putting into place water infrastructure that Utahns use and fight over to this day. Find sources and past episodes of the Beehive Archive at utahhumanities.org. For the Beehive Archive, a production of Utah Humanities, I'm Megan Weiss. listening to Utah Public Radio, a statewide member-supported service of Utah State University, KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU-FM Logan, also heard at upr.org. My name is Helen Cannon, and I garden in Cache Valley. Utah Public Radio is very important to me. It has been for much of my life. It's vital to my happiness.